My name is Ashley, and this is Let's Talk Dispatch. You're gonna do it. Do it really well. And I believe the world needs more dispatchers. years that I'm not working Fourth of July. So on this show, with the help of my guests, we will educate, empower, and support the heroes behind the headset. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode here on Let's Talk Dispatch with me, Ashley, the Raspy Dispatcher. I hope you all are doing well doing amazing if you haven't seen or follow me on social medias got a few things going on right now we just released our first ever custom challenge coin raspy dispatcher on one side because the world needs more dispatchers on the other and we're currently selling those and doing some shirt raffles um you get a coin and a sticker and a chance to enter to win a because shirt as well as we have really officially started and pushed our fi- private Facebook group titled Let's Talk Dispatch. And what I love about the Facebook group is that it's open to previous, current, and aspiring dispatchers. And that aspiring dispatchers portion is something that's near and dear to my heart. It's one of the reasons that I really got going with all of this raspy dispatcher stuff is to really provide resources, information to those who are trying to get in the field because I couldn't find a lot when I was going through the process. So I know we need more dispatchers after becoming one. And I think this Facebook group, in addition to all of our resources, really allows folks who are really interested in the field to ask folks who have been doing it so they can really get a good understanding without people telling them to run away quickly um, of this, if this is a job that's uh, fit for them. So definitely check out those two things, our Facebook group, Let's Talk Dispatch, and the new merch that's on our website, theraspydispatcher.com. And referring to folks who have been doing this a while, my guest today is entering their 23rd year of service as a dispatcher in so many different roles from just a regular dispatcher, shift supervisor, GIS, CAD data, base manager, the list goes on. My guest today, Dan Wright. Hi, Dan. Hey, Ashley. How are you today? I am well. Yourself? I'm doing well. Thank you so much. Awesome, awesome. Where are you co- joining us from? Uh, well, today I'm, I'm joining us from uh, Gulf Shores, Alabama, uh, Baldwin County, Alabama. Uh, I'm actually in my unfinished home office, so you'll have to pardon the uh, the uh, construction <laughs> move-in portion behind me. Didn't plan on being here today, but life's events, uh, you know. Chose me to be at home today, but uh, you know that is you. You know, just like dispatch, the life is unexpectable, right? So yep, we gotta yep. <laughs> just keep it moving. But um, I know it's it's building a home office is very fun, but also like very chaotic, like yep. at the same time. <laughs> exactly. So tell us a little bit about yourself. How you got into public safety in your journey? Yeah, well, first of all, you know, thanks for this opportunity to uh, be here and speak with you and all, and all of your audience. Uh, just really appreciate it. Uh, love sharing my story and uh, never, never imagined as a, a young teenager or a young man being where I'm at today, but uh, got started in the volunteer fire service and uh, got laid off from my first ever job at the grocery store. And uh, the same day I got laid off, got a call from the local 911 agency that I had applied with and interviewed with. I uh, went to work at 911 and started out as a uh, part-time at that point was in school and uh, you know, on my own. So I just d- did, took everything I could get and uh, jumped in and fell in love with 911. My, my goal was to be a career firefighter. I was just, uh, wasn't really a, a childhood dream per se, uh, maybe a teenage dream more so. And I went on to the career fire service, but the, the, the one constant in my professional career, uh, since I started 911, as I have never left 911 mm-hmm. uh, in the 23 years that I've been in 911, so been able to uh, complete a career in the fire service, and <clears throat> now in 911 full time as a deputy director. Very, very cool. So when you made that shift to 911, was it very intentional? Like you applied, and it was something that interested you, or was it something that you applied for, got into, and was like, wow? 
This is awesome. Uh, it, it was a stepping stone. It was, uh, let me get through school, mm. uh, go to EMT school and get finished with school, paramedic school and uh, get the fire service. And, you know, I'd go from there. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't know that I can describe it even still today other than uh, there, there seemed, you know, being a fireman was cool. It was fun. Uh, but I've always felt more, uh, more calling, if you will. I know that's a cliche term, but just more ability to make the biggest impact uh, in 911. That's amazing. And I know, like you said, like fire was great and amazing. And I don't think we hear it often enough, the impact that, especially comparative to like the typical first responder, careers officer, firefighter, EMT, um, dispatch kind of being held into that same category. And so I think it's amazing that you went through the fire department and love that, but there was something really special about dispatch. Yeah, most definitely. You know, I've been very, very blessed through the years to to serve in so many roles in 911. You know, as you mentioned, I've I've participated in almost every aspect of 911, uh, from you know taking the calls to to uh, the IT side, the CAD side, GIS, and, and, and management as well. And just to to know what all goes into. Uh, the the processing of the call from the time that phone rings until we get the responders to the scene. Uh, what all goes into that is, is you know, I, being in the fire service, you know, we go to the station, we get in the trucks, we go do the, do the thing, you know, take mm-hmm. care of the people. And there's a lot, obviously a lot that goes into that, but uh, the, the amount of work and the commitment and just the drive and the passion and the love from people that sit in the seat and, and under the headset, behind the headset, and take these calls. And, you know, I, I wish we, we did a better job uh, in the industry of knowing how, how many people's lives a dispatcher affects versus a, a responder in the field. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I've been to thousands of calls uh, in, in the field, but if I had been a call taker for 23 years, how many thousands of calls and people could I have affected? And, you know, we we, we – downgrade ourselves a lot in 911 as a call taker because we get jaded because just like a paramedic or a firefighter does Mm -hmm. we see the same stuff every day but we i try to instill in our staff the mindset of it doesn't matter how small something seems to you and how mundane it is that person called you because that's all they knew at that time you are their hero they're calling 911 because they don't know what else to do. And the only thing that they can think of is to call you and you get to be helping that person at that particular time in their life. Mm-hmm. It, it is really true. And especially when you talk about the, the amount of folks that we talk to as call takers, right? Because one big difference that I've noticed through my career in regards to folks who respond in person in the field and and dispatchers is my unit can be on a call for their entire shift, depending Mm -hmm. on the severity, right? Um, You know, if it's a DV, if it's a shooting, if it's, you know, a fatal car accident, they're going to be sitting on that for three, four, five, six hours. Whereas I took that call and now I have another DV coming in. I have another this coming in. I have another that coming in. And I think, as you said, like that's a huge thing that we miss when we're talking about the differences of impact that dispatchers receive. If we're just talking about trauma we're receiving um, as well as folks we're impacting because my units are doing great work out there. One call at a time. Yep. I'm going call to call to call to call, and then sending units to the different calls. So it's it's a huge thing. I think you're right. We do kind of glaze over. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I think if I had to pinpoint one thing that that has kept me in 911, it's that it's it's I, you know I just have this drive and passion to help as many people as I can. And while now my my main goal is to develop people that take these calls, uh, that's at the end of the day, you know, it's all about still helping those people. 
because the, the the decisions that we make every day in management and administration trickle down to those that are answering the call so that they can make that impact on the people that are calling. So true. You know, supervisory management, it, it really having a strong sense and a strong connection with your management and supervisor, feeling like they get it, feeling like they care about, you know, you, the one answering the call goes such a long way in making a comm center functional and making folks want to stay and making folks want to continue to give to this uh, community. And it, it sounds like you're doing great work at your center with that. Well, I appreciate it. You know, we, we, we definitely try as hard as we can. You know, nobody's perfect. Uh, they're, they're, you know, every family has <laughs> their, uh, their squabbles. We don't talk uh, about that, Dan. We're perfect. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, we, we do our best to, to promote mm-hmm. a, a strong, healthy work environment. Uh, you know, we do our best to to take care of our staff, to recognize our staff, uh, to let them know that, you know, we, we appreciate them and that, you know, we, we know the work they do every day. Uh, you know, we've started the Tree of Life uh, little thing on the wall that has really grown, uh, if you will. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, that's been great. A lot of great publicity from that. Uh, mm-hmm. We try to implement the latest and greatest technology, uh, sometimes to a fault, sometimes it don't work. Yeah. Uh, but we, we you know, we've implemented a lot of things that have no undoubtedly saved lives uh, by, by just being on the front end of some technology changes. Uh, and I know that those things are all scary and, <laughs> you know, it brings change and a lot of anxiety and uh, all those things. Uh, but, you know, we in the administrative part of this business owe it to our staff to vet this stuff and to be sure that, that it is for the benefit of the people calling. And, you know, there's been things that, that we've uh, as an agency said no to, because it, it, you know, in theory, it sounds great, but at, at the end of the day on the dispatch floor during the 911 call, it just isn't going to work. Mm, that's true. I mean, we love some new technology here at the Raspy Dispatcher, but uh, you know, and the reason that a lot of dispatchers go into the private sector working for these companies, working for these tech companies, is to provide that, like, reality of, like, yeah, I, this isn't going to be functional when I'm in the middle of taking a crisis. And, you know, that's, that is, as you said, very important to vet and see if it is something that really will translate into the real world of what we're dealing with in 911. Before we continue, we wanted to take a moment to thank our partners at Prepared. You can learn more about the awesome support and technology Prepared provides to first responders by heading to prepared911.com. Partners like Prepared help to continue our mission of supporting, empowering, and educating the heroes under the headset. You can learn more about our resources and partnerships by heading to theraspydispatcher.com. Now let's get back to the show. Yeah, you know, and that's that's one thing that we've we've got to be very cautious of uh, in the industry as a whole as we move forward. And you know, we I don't believe this is speculative, of course, but I I don't believe that we've even scratched the surface of, of the things that are going to be tossed towards us, mm. saying that that we need to do this or you know you need to do this and. You know, let's just be real and candid for a moment. You know, a lot of places when when their chiefs or their captains or whomever gets sold uh, an item, mm-hmm. uh, it gets pushed down on on us to to or you guys to to make it work. Mm-hmm. And you know, a lot of times there's no understanding of how all that works. And mm-hmm. you know, I, I feel for those that are in those positions that get stuck with with that type of setup. And, you know, I don't think anybody sets out to do anything wrong. It's mm-hmm. a good idea in theory and just in real world, it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I hope that I'm doing a good enough job uh, on a, a bigger level besides just in our agency to, to preach and to push out that, you know, technology is great. We need data. We, we need data directly to the responders. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we need to be more efficient and we need to be more effective and humans make mistakes every mm-hmm. single day. Mm-hmm. doesn't matter how hard we try. 
when those 30 calls pop within 30 seconds, we're going to make mistakes. Mm -hmm. And we need to do our part to get this information to the responders with as least resistance as possible, but it's got to work and it Mm -hmm. cannot bog down that one call taker that takes that one call during that 30 that is a different call Mm -hmm. that needs their direct attention. And we, we can't worry about having to make sure that all these pieces work when we need to be Mm -hmm. given CPR to a mother who just found their child, uh, not breathing. And, and, you know, I try to approach everything like that is, is how can we implement these things, make these things work, make us better, but still have that human to be able to recognize and make that decision at, at the time that is needed. Awesome. Well, you've been doing this for 23 years. Yep. What was it like in the beginning in regards to technology, in regards to your transition from fire to this? Like, what was it like for you? Oh, man, I tell you, it's, uh, you know, I sit back and I started in a rural county uh, in my hometown uh, in, in Clanton, Alabama, between Birmingham and Montgomery. Uh, anybody that's ever traveled Interstate 65 in Alabama has seen the big peach water tower. That's where I'm from. Uh, <laughs> so I remember uh, base station radio, desk mic, uh, DOS base CAD, command line, all DOS base CAD, no mm. mouse, no, <laughs> no user. I'm getting anxiety thinking about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a, a, like a, it was a 10 button phone oh where it was like a old, you know, you see them old phones in the offices where you had to pick up, you had like your 911 lines. I mean, oh it was, but you know, then it was the latest, greatest. No, yeah. uh, when I first started, they had phase, at least in where I was, uh, wireless phase one had just really hit. Mm. Uh, and so, you know, it's, uh, it's been quite a journey. Uh, quite a journey uh, from going from, uh, you know, taking calls. Of course, you know, that was 20, 2020 ish, 20, I mean, 2020, geez, 2000, 2001. So, uh, you know, cell phones weren't as prolific then as they are now. You know, we hit that in the 2005 ish, seven ish when that really took off. So uh, it was, uh, it was interesting. A lot of changes. I, I would have never imagined that we would see the uh, the technology changes that we have seen. And then, you know, you, you look at 23 years, but then you look at the past 10 years and just what's happened in the past 10 years and uh, exciting and scary at the same time. Uh, but yeah, a lot of changes, lots of, uh, you know, I think that gives me a unique perspective coming from yeah. a small town, a uh, small piece app uh, where we did everything and, uh, you know, when, when you don't have a lot of resources, it makes you uh, it makes you become more resourceful, if you will. Mm-hmm. And it, it makes you think things through a little better and, and do things more efficiently and effectively. It's very true. I mean, and it's, you know, for me in California, you know, big, big city uh, dispatching. And when I call into these more rural areas, and like for a warrant or things like that. And they tell me like, oh, I'm going to put you on hold. I'm going to go pull the file. And I'm like, pull the file. (laughs) Some (laughs) folks are still working on paper, you know, and they just have a little little thing there where the warrant's kept alive and, you know, and they're faxing over the live document. And, you know, and for me, like that, the technology difference is so vast. And knowing the fact that there are a lot of dispatchers, dispatch centers that are still getting the technology, um, up to the current, I don't know, standard uh, that folks are working with in these bigger cities is is wild to me. I feel like we all should be working with our with at least the computer technology, and that's just not the reality, right? It's not. Mm-hmm. It's not. I mean, there's you know, there, I believe I, I don't want to misspeak, but I believe there are places, even in Alabama, where they are still doing cards and logs for, yeah. for there, there's no computerized CAD. Uh, mm-hmm. I can't, <laughs> of course, you know, I'm sure they're slower and it's probably manageable, but mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're going to push 150,000 911 calls this year. You know, yeah. I can't even imagine uh, 
uh, trying to manage that with, with no computer. So, yeah. you know, it's, it, you know, it's, it, it's easy for us to say, well, why are you not doing it this way? Or why are you mm-hmm. not doing it that way? Or why do you not have this? Well, I mean, you know, when you, when you take every little piece and every little piece app and then you, you know, you take those four five, 10 dispatchers that work there. And even, even with the proliferation of the internet and, mm-hmm. and, and podcasts like yours, you know, it's still tough to reach these people. Yeah. Uh, no, I was thinking about it actually on the way home from work uh, this morning that, you know, I'm going, I'm going to be going to some more conferences this year and getting that aspect and just thinking about how many folks that are doing this job versus how many folks are being connected. You know, how many folks for me specifically that I'm able to reach. And you're right. There are so many dispatchers out there that you, you just don't reach, you know, that you're just not connecting with yet. Um, and it really is a little daunting when you think about how many dispatchers are really out there in the world, how many dispatchers we still need out there in the world, um, and that we're all just trying to connect and get on the same page with this life-saving service. Yeah, you know, I, I often liken it to working in silos. Uh, you know, we, <laughs> we as uh, pr- professionals, uh, we get comfortable. And it works. Uh, mm-hmm. We don't, human beings, especially public safety, do not like change. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I think that I've, I've been uh, just, I've always been one of those people that question, why do we do it that way? Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes to my detriment. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I just always, and it's not that you're, you're trying to, to create a new wheel. But sometimes there are better ways to do things. And, and there's a, a reasoning behind doing something a different way. There's sometimes a reason that you do it the way you do it. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I, if I had one challenge to, to every dispatcher out there, to every call taker, to the first day person, and I encourage this in our organization, is ask why. You know, because sometimes I get too comfortable. Uh, mm. I, a lot of my staff would disagree with that. But, uh, I know that I still get comfortable, you know, and and that's the only way that you drive innovation, you drive change is to get uncomfortable. And it's, it's tough. A lot of days, uh, it, you know, it causes a lot of anxiety. It causes stress. And I know that's the last thing we need in this business. But when it, if it's something that can make your job easier, it's in, when you get comfortable, I, I'm just, I'll just be very candid. When you get comfortable, you look at things from a very blind perspective mm-hmm. and you, you often choose to not see the other side of what's being proposed. Mm-hmm. And Hey, there are times that, that things are proposed that are not good. I've, I've put plate things out and be like, okay, that, that didn't go mm-hmm. how I envisioned it. Let's, back just, up. let's, let's take that up. back. Up. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you know, but uh, that's one thing is, but as a leader, you've got to engage your staff. Uh, we, mm-hmm. we do very few things that, that do not involve our shift supervisors and our operations manager being involved in the decision making and in the, the implementation of a process. Uh, I'm not saying that there's not any that doesn't happen that way, but, you know, generally it's, it's very involved and uh, mm-hmm. we, we push that down as far as we can depending on the timeline we're working in, mm-hmm. uh, of how we want things to, I mean, we want everybody to feel engaged and involved and we encourage questions and we encourage, uh, you know, ideas. Uh, you know, we try to preface that with, you know, don't get discouraged if you put out three ideas and three of those don't, do not get implemented either at all or right away. Mm-hmm. Your fourth idea may be the biggest thing we've ever done. Hmm. And, you know, that's, that's tough for a lot of people. And I get that. Uh, yeah. It's so tough for me sometimes, you know, but when you, when you're connected and you feel passionate about something, uh, you know, I, I just think we need more people in this business that are taking those calls every day to ask why and to propose ideas. And that's amazing. It's so empowering because I think we've all experienced in our lives, whether, you know, in dispatch or before dispatch, where we've had leaders that want you to be quiet and just follow 
orders or just, you know, do the thing. Don't ask questions, you know, don't question the way you're doing it. And in this line of work, being empowered by leadership to ask why is amazing. And so the fact that you're empowering your people to bring their ideas to the forefront, um, to question the things that are happening and always, of course, in respectful manners and ways and avenues, um, but opening that line of communication goes so far in making people want to stay and making people feel heard because just like our callers, our folks in our dispatch centers, we want to feel heard by the people who are managing us. Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, kind of our, our pre-discussion, you know, one of the things you asked was, you know, what, what are we doing to, to maintain our staff and to, uh, you know, keep them engaged and, you know, we probably do not do a good enough job uh, of, of letting them know how empowered they really are. Uh, you know, there's always improvement for that. But uh, it, it's about having everybody connected to the same mission and, and, and just encouraging. And, you know, sometimes as leadership, you know, you have to do things that you don't necessarily understand why they want it, but they want it. And, you know, is it going to hurt something? Is it going to cause us to be in litigation is it going what you know let's just take for instance and i'm not i hope some of my staff's going to watch this and they're going to think i'm proposing this but <laughs> let's just take for instance you know like you know so you wear uniforms and they want to wear t-shirts for one day or a month you know well what is that hurting mm. why why not let them do that mm-hmm. yeah. at the same time you know we're, we're a public agency at any point Anybody could come in, new staff could come in. You should probably have your uniform shirt on standby in case, you know, whatever happens mm-hmm. and you're expected to wear this certain uniform, whatever, you know. But mm-hmm. and that was a very elementary example. But, you know, we should, as, as leaders in administration, we should put forth the effort to provide our staff with the things they need, mm-hmm. even though we may not. You know what? Well, I don't understand why. It doesn't really matter that I understand why. Mm, it matters that that's what they want. Yes. It, does it? Does it? Does it stop us from fulfilling our mission, values, and goals? And if mm-hmm. not, then we need to really consider it. Mm-hmm. And I think that I think that point is phenomenal, right? It's like, it doesn't matter if I understand, it just matters. It's, it's their want. And the question is, how does it affect our agency and our abilities to do our job? And I think we did a panel at Nina um, uh, with a bunch of folks from Carbine about authenticity, authenticity in the workplace. And that was a thing that came up is this, this uniform debate um, and kind of, you know, uh, folks, been doing it a, a while and liking the uniformity of it and the um, professionalism of a uniform for the dispatchers and things of that nature. And then a lot of folks who are newer to this are just kind of having that impact of how does what I am wearing affect my work? You know, I'm here for 12, 13 hours a day. I don't want to be in tacticals or, you know, full class C's or, you know, whatever the situation looks like for um, our centers. But I do think it all, no matter what the topic is, does go back to, does this affect the ability to do my job and the legalities of it? And if it doesn't, why are we not considering those things to better our people? Yeah, I can give you a real world example, you know, talk to the uniform aspect of it. I mean, so I'll just give an administration management standpoint, you know. Uh, so while every agency is different. We, we, we pretty much stay open to the public within reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, we encourage the the media to come by or whomever to come by. So, if, you know, for us, from an administrative standpoint, it's okay. You know, we need to be presentable if uh, mm-hmm. one of our board members or uh, elected official comes in, you know, we shouldn't probably shouldn't be in uh, pajamas uh, mm-hmm. at work. If, you know, somebody like a onesie, definitely a onesie (laughs) (laughs) with the pink uh, bunny slippers, right? Yes. Uh, But, uh, you know, so one of the things uh, that they presented was that they wanted to wear blue jeans. Mm. Uh, You know, me personally, I guess because I wore uniform pants for Mm. 25 years, Mm. uh, I'm not a big blue jean fan. Mm. 
I think they're uncomfortable. It's just me. I'd mm-hmm. rather wear slacks that are loose fitting than, than don't. But anyway, and I'm like, I don't under, that doesn't make sense to me. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it didn't matter that it made sense to me. Mm-hmm. That's what they wanted. So we pushed it through and we got it passed. And mm-hmm. now their uniform is blue jeans. Of course, mm-hmm. they have to be decent. They're not the pre-cut. But so, you know, they're in blue jeans now. That's mm-hmm. that's their uniform pants is, is denim pants or blue jeans. Mm-hmm. So. And I imagine if someone still wanted to rock the slacks or tactical pants, they still have that option, right? 100%. Like it still all falls into it. So. We're including folks, you know, into the culture, into the the situation going on in our centers. And and I'm sure the folks who wanted to wear jeans are like so much happier mm-hmm. in their 12 hour shifts in their what's equivalent in their mind sweatpants. You know, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so cool. So, so cool. So do you remember any of your early first calls for service when you first started getting into this? You know, I, I really can't. Uh... I can remember a few blunders on the radio. But, <laughs> but, you know, I, I don't really per se have any calls that necessarily stand out. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, I've got, of course, calls from the fire service that stand out. But mm-hmm. from a dispatch perspective, I, you know, I guess I just was never that call taker that, that mm-hmm. took those calls. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, I don't really have anything uh call taken related mm-hmm. that stands out where I really think that, you know, I, I was the reason that, that somebody made it through. Yeah. Well, as, as someone who worked in the fire service, uh, the question is, how do you feel about fire staging? For- <laughs> <laughs> Well, you talk about like you, you talk about like staging for like a, an unsafe scene, or for like a seventy-year-old who has dementia, and yeah. See, so I guess because I was in an urban fire department, uh, mm-hmm. in the city of Birmingham, uh, we didn't stage a whole lot. We, no, we had such a big police department. You know, they they were pretty quick most of the time, but. Uh, we, we actually had this running joke that we knew it was a real fire if we could see police on our approach because they had already got there. Uh-huh. And, and you know, if it was a shooting, then they would wait for us to get there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, you know, 70-year-old dementia patient, we didn't. We didn't. <laughs> well, your people have to call my people because let me tell you. <laughs> Well, they're they're in their bed. They can't move out of their bed. All right, we're in that way. Yeah, yeah, you know, I... We, I, I've, I, I've, I've never been a, a fan of, of staging. I, I know there's a time and place and look, mm-hmm. I've been doing this a long time. I know it's a different world today mm-hmm. than it was a while ago, mm-hmm. uh, years ago. But I, if I was still in the field, I may feel differently about it today, but mm-hmm. you know, I got two or three, four guys or people on the fire truck with, mm-hmm. with a few select tools, I, you mm-hmm. know, be all right. <laughs> we, we can control the situation. <laughs> so do you think that coming into it as someone who was, you know, being dispatched out to these calls helped you understand what's going on in the field better, help educate the folks in the dispatch center about things? Do you think that overlapped helped you ease into this side of the the call? Uh, yeah, so yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, I think that I've had the ability to bring a unique perspective, uh, to, to both sides, uh, through, through my career in, in, in both fields. Uh, you know, I was always definitely always an advocate, uh, on the fire truck for, for the dispatchers, mm-hmm. uh, you know, letting, you know, telling people, you know, what, what may or may not be going on. You know, we'd get dispatched to, I don't know, a broke leg and, and we'd get there and the house is on fire and, you know, <laughs> Uh, they'd be like, why, why didn't they dispatch us the right call? I'm like, look, they just go with what they were told, man. You, these people call in and tell us crazy stuff, crazy stuff. You know, but that is so true for folks who are listening and who are like thinking about getting into this line of work. It, it The things that people believe are important to mm-hmm. communicate is like all, not always what you as the person responding or sending folks out to respond 
it's we need more, you know, or they give us too much. And I've had many calls are like, there's blood everywhere. And then you get there and it's like a paper cut. And you're like, what? Well, huh. where's, you know, you're telling the officers like, there's blood everywhere, you know, be prepared. And they're like, no, there was no blood. Yeah. Just- there, there's nothing. I mean, you know, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, but also from, from the dispatch side, uh, mm-hmm. I actually, uh, several years ago, I kind of developed a little class and a little couple of conferences uh, that I presented that, you know, really covered some uh, in-depth technology, not technology, terminology mm. uh, for the dispatchers that they probably hear uh, firefighters saying because, that, mm. you know, those silos. <laughs> Dispatch works this way. Fire works this way. Law enforcement works this way. None of them talk to each other. They all think they all know what you're talking about. Nobody knows what's going on. <laughs> <That's> uh, <true. laughs> and then everybody blames the dispatcher because nobody knew what was going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, I, I just think using that, that terminology and being able to, even in my current role, being able to explain to, to our staff and, you know, we're, we're very blessed and fortunate uh, in our current organization uh, because our training coordinator retired from the fire service mm-hmm. and we primarily dispatch fire and EMS. We do a little LE dispatch, but you know, we're, we're able to really, really hammer in to our trainees and any, any, a lot of parts of our training uh, the fire service terminologies and mm-hmm. EMS terminology. He's a uh, retired firefighter paramedic. So uh, we're very blessed in our organization uh, that we have that ability. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, what I would encourage is, you know, work with your local responders. That, you know, of course, A fire department, B fire department, C fire department is going to all do things different. Mm-hmm. But just having that general knowledge, you know, if they just come in and teach a two-hour class during your mm-hmm. training, of your new hires, you know, that's more than they're getting today. Mm. And, you know, if you do a lot of LE dispatch then do the same thing with that, find somebody that's willing to put in the work and help guide them. You know, if, if you've got access to uh, fire instructors, you know, people in the fire service that are actually instructors probably be a little more prepared, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, I would strongly encourage those that have the influence to, to bring in some outside resources as part of your training curriculum, even if it's just for an hour, whatever they can get uh, would, would be beneficial. You know, and it's something I would imagine we don't really think about very often. And I don't think I realized until I lateraled just how much language is, you know, differs between agencies. You know, we did nine code at my last agency, one of only two departments in California to do nine code. And, you know, that's the one I originally started at. So I got to learn 10 code when, when I lateraled and um, I got to learn about warrants and uh, all these NCIC things, these klutz things that I wasn't dealing with at my previous agency. And then when you look at it as how the, the firefighters, how the police officers, how the folks who are in the field are looking at these things like all the language can be so different. So the idea that you're presenting to bring those folks who are out there in the field to educate the dispatchers and vice versa, really, um, it's it's such a simple concept. I think that we don't think about very often, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so one of the things we've also done, again, our training coordinator has been amazing, uh, but he's uh, actually going out into the field and, and taught classes to the fire departments, you know, mm-hmm. one hour, hour and a half communications class, uh, taught several of those. And it's, you know, we, we've seen some improvements. Uh, we're, we're still young in that process. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, the unfortunate part is, especially with the volunteer fire services, there's a lot of turnover just like there is in dispatch. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think that we've also got to change our mindset and, and, when my staff listens to this, we'll roll their eyes. But, you know, uh, we, we've got to change our mindset in this business that, you know, we we only want people that, that want to be here forever like us. And, mm. You know, we just don't have that anymore. Yeah, we're going to find a few here and there sprinkled in. But the majority, uh, my goal right now, my goal when we hire is I, I want to get two years out of a person. If I can get two years, then we're doing well. Uh, and, you know, and hopefully a few of those will stay. And, yeah. Uh, you know, but we, we just got to be, we got to continually be training, continually be recruiting, continually be hiring. Uh, we've, I've actually recently changed our hiring strategy from, uh, you know, we'd true government agency, you know, we'd get a resignation. We'd wait till they quit. 
<laughs> then we'd start advertising. Mm-hmm. Then we got a test. Then we got a schedule and hope, you know, four yeah. months. Yeah. Well, I've, you know, I've totally flipped that on its side. I'm constantly hired, constantly yeah. hired right now. We're constantly accepting applications. And, yes. You know, I communicate with these people that apply and I tell them, look, here's our assessment. Take it. We're going to put you on the list. I don't mm-hmm. know when we'll be hired, uh, but you'll be the first to be contacted. Yeah. Uh, we just uh, finished up interviews this week and we'll be making some job offers to some people. Uh, awesome. We just, I, you know, we, we were fully staffed for a few <laughs> weeks and uh, <laughs> this, this summer we had uh, five people leave us for different. Yeah. Years. Cause they got fully staffed and it scared them. They're yeah, like, I don't yeah. know what's happening <laughs> right now, but I got to get out of here before it goes down. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we're, we're a big tourist area. There's mm-hmm. eight, eight plus million people that visit our county every year wow. tourism wise. And so we've went through the summer, the majority of the summer uh, at minimum staffing. So, you know, uh, but about to hire our last two to get back to full staffing uh, by the end of the year, we'll, we'll be fully staffed. Knock on something. Hey, I got you. Uh, um, that's, that's awesome. And I do think that the concept that you're talking about, uh, you know, cause I talk about it too, is like, we want more dispatchers, but we want more happy dispatchers. We want folks to be thriving. And if they do that for two, three years, and then they're ready to be on to something new, my hope is that it's still impacting the first responder services and community. But if they're not doing it here with us in the 911 center, it's because we've given them the tools, knowledge, mm-hmm. and you know, equipment to go out there and be successful in the world and take that, that, the good things about dispatch out and tell the world about it. Right. So what we don't want is a disgruntled dispatcher nope. out there dogging the career and that, you know, we already have, you know, a, a bad rep per se uh, that we're trying to shake a little bit um, in our toxicity that can be in our centers. And if we give folks a good experience, they're going to go tell folks and folks who are looking for jobs might come d- take a shot at what we're doing in dispatch. So, yeah, you know, I, I tell our staff all the time, you know, look, yeah, I get that we we may be working short, but, you know, if somebody doesn't want to be here, we shouldn't want them to be here. And, and that, I, that sounds so cold to say that, but I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean, mm-hmm. we don't go to a doctor that we don't want to go to. Mm-hmm. Why, you know, why? We, I, th- I just think public safety as a whole, more more so dispatch. Mm-hmm. I said, we can't be short. We got to make mm-hmm. Susie happy, whatever we need to do to Susie. And then we mm-hmm. try to pacify Susie and Susie comes in and still moaning and grappling. And then, mm-hmm. then Johnny's mad and then Paul's mm-hmm. mad. And then it's, I, I call it a cancer. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I know that, the, you know, my, my mom just got diagnosed with breast cancer and, you know, I, I do not mean that in any type of insensitive way, mm-hmm. but it's like a cancer in the dispatch room because mm-hmm. once it gets one person, it's going to spread. Mm-hmm. There's nothing you can do to stop it unless you kill it. Yeah, I say kill it very loosely. <laughs> yeah, unless you throw some radiation at that thing and get it out of there, mm-hmm. it's going to spread to others. Yeah, and mm-hmm. you know that's one thing I've done in my entire management uh, that season here is just, hey, look, I, if we could do something within reason to to satisfy you and to make you happy. You know, as long as it doesn't cause a big, a reasonable accommodation, if you will, then, hey, let's do it. But mm-hmm. we, we both got to understand that <clears throat> I can't get, you know, yeah, you've been here a year. I can't give you Monday through Friday, eight to four <laughs> dispatch shift that doesn't exist because that's what you want. So I thought it was everybody else, but yeah. this doesn't work that way. Yeah, there has to be a little bit of a reality in like what, what this job is is you know i think a lot of times the one thing i tell folks who are trying to get into the field is like this is the the reality of your schedule for the at least the first 18 months you're gonna be all over the place in your training you know day shift swing shift graves like however that agency has it set up but it will not be consistent and even once you get out of that it might be consistently what you don't want a graveyard shift you know, for me, a day shift, um, you know, whatever, but it, it's, it's not, a, it's not a job that bends to you. And I think some people who are coming from, you know, uh, the civilian life work think I'll get in there. They'll hire me 
and then I'll change my availability or like, you know, I'll do the whole switcheroo. And it's like, well, no, they'll just let you go because they're not going to adapt to you. And that's just a reality you either have to be okay with or it's a reality where, you know, hey, it's not a good fit for me. And that's okay, too. Yeah. This job is not for everybody. It's It's really not. Mm hmm. Yeah, we've gotten to where we tell people during our interview process, you know, after all the the formal questions are asked and, and the structure review questions are taken care of, you know, we just have a candid chat session and we tell them, like, look, you know, I know we asked you, are you available to work nights, weekends, and holidays? And you yeah. said yes, but I need you to understand that that means nights, weekends, and holidays. That means birthdays. That means Christmas. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're on one shift, so we have set days on our shift. So one mm-hmm. one crew works Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Mm-hmm. If you're on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you're working every single Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. If you're on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, you're working all Monday holidays. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of them. In case you yeah. nobody realizes. <laughs> uh, so, you know, just because if we choose to hire you, candidate, Mm-hmm. We're not changing that because of you. Yeah. You're not changing that. This this mm-hmm. is how it is. Yeah. And so we, we've had to start telling people that. I've had one, not at this agency, in my previous agency, I had one person we hired that, uh, you know, once we got done with the classroom training, got ready to assign them to a shift. And they said, I, I can't, I can't work that shift. Like, Excuse me. Yeah. So they brought them to me as a director. And I was like, you know, what's going on? And, uh, she told me, she said, yeah, I mean, I just thought that once I got here, just like you just said, yeah. I just thought once you hired me that you just let me work when I could. I was, nope. That's mm-hmm. not, you're, you're supposed to be here at this time. If you can't do it, then you can just resign right now. Yeah. It's a reality. It, it really, really is. I mean, especially in our world where we're, we're based on seniority half the time, you know, it's just like, and it's not when we're talking about the holidays, birthdays, weekends, well, you know, it's not like, could you it's like when when you have to do this are you going to show up or are you gonna not show up and then force someone else to have to show up because that's the the consequence right it's like if you're not going to go do this thing we have to pull someone else away that rightfully has that day off from their family their whatever to come fill the spot that you're leaving so it's it's a ripple effect in our comm centers you know yeah and i think that's we probably don't do a good enough job explaining that to candidates. And that's what we're trying to change. You know, a lot of people come from the service industry, you know, trying to better themselves. I completely applaud that. That's what I did. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, if you work at a fast food restaurant and you call in sick, well, it just takes somebody else three minutes to get their next sandwich. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, we don't work that way. Yeah. You know, yeah. We have minimum staffing for a reason because that means yeah. that many people have to be there Yeah. to, to fulfill our mission. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, you know, waiting three minutes on the 911 call to be answered because you chose not to come to work because your big toe hurt today yeah. doesn't work. Yeah, like in a world like pre-COVID, I had to be like dying to yeah. to not come into work, you know. And then you're like still like hyping yourself up. You're like in the hospital on the IV, like okay, I had a call, <laughs> I had a call work, I gotta tell them I'm sick. I gotta, you know, yeah. you're like convincing yourself like you're in the hospital, like it's okay. Yeah. Call up, and you're still like okay, I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna do it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Well, one thing I wanted to ask you, uh, we've been talking a lot about leadership, creating, you know, healthy, empowering centers. And I mean, we don't have to be in leadership to be a leader. Um, We talk about that a lot on this show. But as a director, what is something you wish you knew sooner as you transitioned into your leadership roles throughout your career for folks who are out there trying to maybe step into those roles in a, not even in a professional uh, official manner, but even an unofficial manner. Uh, so I, I'm glad you asked that question because this is something I've actually learned about myself in the past year. Mm. Uh, and, and I wish that I knew more about myself and why I think the way I think. Mm. And I'll add some context to that. So, uh, you know, as with anybody, I've, I've faced definite challenges in, in my leadership and management. Uh, I'm a very task-driven person. Mm. Uh, and so uh, learn that through disc assessments and other personality studies uh, on myself. And 
you know, it was like an epiphany for me uh, and, and made me really step back and think about some of the decisions I had made uh, in the past and, mm. and, you know, know that I could have done things differently. Not that the outcome would have been different, but mm. I could have handled things differently and a little more delicately uh, than I did. Uh, not to pacify, not to BS, not to sugarcoat, but, you know, mm. uh, I, I'm, I'm, I struggle with understanding feelings, even my own feelings. And so mm. uh, being so task driven, like my D on a, I don't know if you know much about the disc mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. model, but my D is off, off, like legit off the chart. D. <laughs> uh, I should have had it ready, but it's off the chart. Mm. Uh, so uh, you know, just having a better understanding of myself and, and, mm-hmm. and knowing why I think the way that I think and why mm-hmm. I approach things the way I approach them has, has been a really uh, a big turning point for me, even at this point in my career. And, and I hope uh, that, you know, I, that my my staff is seeing a difference in that. Uh, it's a daily challenge, uh, admittedly, mm-hmm. it's a daily challenge to uh, to accomplish that. Uh, but learn as much as your as yourself about you that you can, uh, because even though I've been very successful, uh, I, I do believe. No, I know that had I known what I know about myself just five years ago, mm-hmm. I would be so much more developed as a manager and leader uh, and be able to offer even more value to people and to develop others than, than I have been in those past five years. So learn, learn about yourself, take, take these assessments, read books, you know, leadership books are great. Uh, but, but focus more on learning about the psychology behind your mind and your personality. Hmm. And, and thank you for sharing that because the vulnerability that goes into that whole statement, right. That as a leader, you're, you're telling your people like, look, I didn't know, myself well enough to lead to my fullest ability mm-hmm. and not that I was a poor leader previously, but at reflecting, there are things I could have done better and would have done better if I had this understanding that I do have now. And I think for folks who are being led by you and folks that are being led by people in general, it just speaks volumes to them to hear that level of understanding that level of admittance, you know, it, it really does go a long way, Dan. So I do a- applaud you for f- figuring that out and then being willing to tell, you know, the world about it. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm pretty open about it. You know, I'm not definitely not a perfect person and, and I still fail every day. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I need help every day to, to be my best, but I, I just, I, I can't even explain and put in the words, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, just the eye-opening moment I had mm-hmm. uh, when, you know, uh, and, and I hope it's okay if I say this, uh, you know, Tracy Eldridge and, and her DISC assessment yeah. uh, and, and the, the program that she's doing uh, through that uh, just opened me, opened me to myself so much. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't that I didn't know that I was task-driven. It was understanding mm. what made me think that way. And yeah. what drove me to that, and and I guess <laughs> in a way how extreme that was, you know, because like somebody says, and I've always just thought, well, I'm just a butthole, mm-hmm. you know, I've just accepted that I just that's just who I am, mm-hmm. but it's not who I really want to be. It's mm-hmm. just I'm so intertwined and just so focused on, you know, like I don't know. Uh, birthdays. I can't remember anybody's birthday. I'm like, I'm like, why can't I remember this? Yeah. My brain's not wired that way. Mm, I'm not yeah. supposed to. Mm-hmm. And you know, other people are like, oh, so-and-so's birthday, we need to do this. We need to give them balloons. And I'm like, how do you think about that? I'm worried about the budget. I'm worried <laughs> about call times. And I'm worried about I got to get my son from school and I'm worried about all these other things, you know, mm. I, I don't think about stuff like that. And yeah. It's, it's just understanding that. And so I, you know, I said something that, that a lot of people liked. I said, you know, I've got, I've got to tell myself, okay, I'm task driven. Well, I need to make people a task. Mm. I need to make being involved and, and being, uh, 
vulnerable and, and feelings a task so that it just falls into my task list. Yeah. I mean, we love Tracy Elridge here. She's, she's a good friend of mine. <laughs> okay, um, her EMP study group. If you're thinking about doing your EMP, um, yeah, she is doing the disc stuff. And um, we've talked about that in the past as well. And it, it's such a good tool um, mm-hmm. that I think every leader, every individual um, in general should definitely use and get to know themselves a little better. Yeah, so uh, we, we've actually implemented a program internally. So all of our staff did the disc assessment. Awesome. We got all those, we got all the report and the comparison report. And mm-hmm. so what we do now is our new hires, one of the first things they do in the first couple of days is they take a disc assessment. Mm-hmm. And so then our training coordinator, you know, takes that, evaluates it, then watches them as they're in the classroom training to make sure that everything lines up. And so then we pair them, we pair the trainees with a CTO that their profiles match. Mm. And so we're just over a year into that. We have a hundred percent success rate with trainees. That's awesome. That's so, so, so cool. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's, it goes back to like a simplicity of it, right? It's just having the tool to understand the person will make the person more successful. Yep. And like when you say it like that, it's like, well, duh, you know. But <laughs> we've also been doing it like uphill, you know, in the rain, snow, and whatever for so long. Sometimes it's hard for us to like. I, I want to work downhill now, you know. Like, yeah. like that's weird. That feels awkward to us. So, you know, I'm sure having that process for your trainees, especially if they have no previous dispatch experience, which is one of the reasons I love this line of work is you're all trained in house so we can get good folks who are not necessarily in the first responder world and get them into this career. So that's awesome that you guys are using that there. Yeah. We're we're really excited. You know, we, (laughs) I I, I say we're really excited, you know, I hate to be losing people and having to hire people, but if if we're going to do it, let's do it right. So, you know, I'm excited about how that, that transpires over the next couple of years and we get some more real world data to, to be able to to prove that out. Yeah, and I, I would only imagine that if you have folks having a better trainee trained experience, they're going to be more confident, and we mm-hmm. might be able to hold on to them a little longer. You know. Yeah, you know, we're we're hopeful. Uh, yeah. You know, I kind of measure. I'm probably wrong, but I kind of measure uh, losing somebody about what you know how what they go to do next. You know, mm-hmm. if somebody changes careers that. I can't control that, you know. Yeah. Uh, if, if somebody leaves me to go to another dispatch agency, yeah, I probably need to do a little deeper self evaluation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, you know, l- luckily, knock on wood, like I said, the, the the ones that have left recently were just you know life life changes they were making, and it had yeah. nothing to do with us. Awesome. Well, Dan, we have had an amazing conversation and I'm going to ask you the question I asked everybody on the closing of this lovely episode, which is what advice would you give someone considering a career in dispatch? Do it, do it, do it, do it. Uh, you know, accept the hours. Look, make your own life around it. You know, I've been in public safety 25 years. We didn't have weekends. We had our own holidays. It's, it's manageable. It's doable. It's tough, but it, if you want something fulfilling in life and if you have just this little bitty itch or light or spark that says that I need to do something bigger than myself, this is it. You know, 25 years in and I still look forward to going and leading people every day. I don't go to work. I go to lead people and to make an impact on people's lives. And it's just it's an amazing career. Awesome. Well, Dan, again, thank you so much for reaching out, being willing to come on the show and joining me today. I've learned so much and I'm sure everyone who's been listening has learned so much as well. Thanks so much, Ashley. I appreciate the opportunity. Awesome. I'll be right back with you. All right, everybody. That was another amazing episode here on Let's Talk Dispatch. Again, Dan, thank you so much for your knowledge and your wisdom, your vulnerability being willing to, you know, lead and empower your people. You know, it, it's it's something that we say and make sense, but 
more managers, more supervisors, um, our folk, folks in leadership need to be doing this in our centers, uh, really empowering our people to ask why, um, because those silos can be rough to be in uh, by ourselves. So definitely encourage each other to ask the whys. And when you get asked the why as someone in leadership, understand it's coming from a knowledge-seeking place um, and not a combative one. So again, thank you all for listening, tuning in, check out the raspydispatcher.com for the new merch. Head to Facebook, Let's Talk Dispatch, uh, Let's Talk Dispatch private Facebook group. Go ahead and join us there. We're doing a lot of amazing things with the Raspy Dispatcher, and it's only getting better and better. And that's because of all of you folks. So, again, thank you all so much. Until next time, stay raspy, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Let's Talk Dispatch, a Raspy Dispatcher production. If you like the podcast, don't forget to hit that subscribe button, leave a five-star review, and of course, tell a friend. If you want to be a guest, head to the raspydispatcher.com and check out our additional resources. Until next time, stay raspy, everybody.